Hello, and welcome to the latest episode of our Business in Focus podcast. I'm Will Sturgeon, Head of Content and Thought Leadership at PwC, and I'm your host. Today, we are talking about hybrid working and back to the office plans. As the UK continues to ease its way out of lockdown, many people are, as we speak, no doubt planning trips into the office, some possibly for the first time in over a year, others possibly for the first time in their career. Something that many of us have taken for granted over the years has become subject of much debate and consideration. What's the role of the office? What value does it create? How often do we need to go there? Do we even need one anymore? Similarly, how do we manage, motivate and develop teams in a hybrid age? And how do we ensure our people feel looked after? To address these topics, I'm delighted to be joined in our virtual studio by my colleagues, Vicky Robinson, a partner at PwC leading on a hybrid workforce strategy and culture, and Prasen Shah, our human sciences and future of work technology leader. Welcome both. Thank you, Will. Great to be here. Thank you, Will. Great to be here too. Now, normally for a podcast like this, I'd have been researching lots of questions to ask you both. But on this occasion, all that work has been done for me. That's because we recently ran a webcast entitled Back to the Office, How to Create a Model that Works for Everybody. Vicky, Prasen, you, you both took part in that virtual event. Not only was it incredibly well attended, but we received so many audience questions, we were unable to get through them all. So we're using this podcast to cover off a lot of outstanding questions, all posed to us by business leaders who are trying to pick their way through the hybrid maze. We'll try to rattle through as many as possible. So Vicky, Prasen, are you ready? Ready and waiting. Excellent. Let's let's go. The first question is one I can definitely relate to. I've, I know I've missed bumping into people around the office and having a chat about nothing in particular. And sometimes those interactions managing to throw up the answer to something I've been wrestling with all week or an idea I'd never thought of otherwise. So the question is, how do we replicate spontaneous serendipitous discussions and networking in a hybrid setting? Or is the answer just to come into the office? Vicky, I'll come to you first with that one. Thank you, Will. Yeah, it's definitely something a lot of clients are debating at the moment. And there's a lot of talk about the virtual, the virtual water cooler moment. And how do you actually replicate some of that serendipitous sort of interaction that you have in the office? I think three points I'd like to make about that. You know, some organisations, including ourselves, have looked at everything from, you know, do we have sort of virtual coffee mornings where people can just drop in speed dating across different team members so that you get more of a sort of interacting with people outside of the formal events some clients and you know i have a lot of sympathy for this view say there is no uh, substitute for the office and actually that's where the office is really we need it to come back we need to come back into our own around those moments what i will say which i find really interesting as well though is we have to remember that you know there is a generation of people out there that actually grew up networking socializing etc online and where a lot of companies including pwc are looking is actually how can they rethink the digital virtual behaviors to put in place more collaboration more networking so for example at pwc one of the pilots we did in our team and we're rolling it out across the firm is a really simple tool that sits on my laptop, my phone and monitors my digital interaction with the team. And it really gives me nudges. It says, you know, you haven't asked the opinion of this person for a week. You've been, it uses NLP, it's got it built in. 
you haven't actually been as warm with this person? Have you checked in with this person because you haven't put any time in with them? And I think a lot of companies are really looking at that. How can we create the digital nudges and help our teams and our leaders reimagine their leadership style more in a virtual context so that we can get that collaboration and networking just part of business as usual, even when we're not all in the same physical space. That's a fascinating answer, Vicky. I, th I think I could use an app like that in my personal life, to be honest, reminding me when I've not spoken to my mum for a while or which, which <laughs> friends I've been ignoring. So that, that sounds a great way to sort of remind us who we need to be speaking to. And it's interesting that you make the, the generational point there, because we had quite a few questions actually about younger employees and the way they may have been affected and what businesses can do about that. For example, some people have asked what businesses can do to help those people in flat shares or working from a bedroom in their parents' home to create an optimal, optimal home office setup for long-term hybrid working. Others are asking about how businesses should address the issue of people who've been or have had less access to learn in the workplace through observation or mentoring from, from senior colleagues. Prasen, do you, do you want to pick up on those, those questions? Yeah, um, so th this, this, this is actually quite fascinating, uh, Will. Um, I think this goes back to the core principle we believe will make hybrid places work or not work. And, and that, I believe, is this idea of uh, one, it's not a one-size-fits-all design we have to really understand the workforce, understand the personas inside the workforce and kind of apply a behavior science and personality trait lens to it and then design for it. So we've done some research uh, recently uh, jointly with Carnegie Mellon University and that research shows that um, personality traits, income, age, relationship status, these are some of the most important factors that affect the sort of myriad of aspects of well-being and hybrid working and kind of goes back to your, your question earlier around um, the younger workforce, right? So some, some of these factors do affect them. So giving employees an option to exercise their flexibility and giving them some choices and optionality around where they work from will be, will be fundamental and critical to this. So an example of this is uh, an emerging idea of uh, of the concept of third space. So in addition to your office, your home office, this idea of a third space, which could be uh, a local bank, could be a local coffee shop that, or, or a WeWork kind of an arrangement that you are uh, entering into as a corporate in different parts of the country. This allows individuals the flexibility to not necessarily all the way have to go into the office, but go to a place which is close enough to your home, but not your home. So it gives you that additional dimension, allows you to pick and choose places where you want to go collaborate based on the nature of the work that you're doing. So it, it all boils down to optionality. Brilliant. And, and the next question, which I'll, I'll ask you, Vicky, picks up on, on some of that, I, I think. And it's it asks, how do you win people around who are reluctant to return to an office? I think that's really interesting. And lots of my clients, you know, that is a real source of worry for them. How will we actually get people back? I think, um, you know, two parts. I think, first of all, understand why it is they're nervous about coming in in the first place. Is it transport? Is it sort of health and safety in the office? And what can you do to relay those sort of, you know, those concerns and actually 
reassure people that things are going to be okay. I think the other thing that's quite important to do is actually look at um, can you sort of, if you like, break the back of it. So some team event, which naturally causes, you know, it's a reason for people to come together. Because I think generally our experience is, you know, people, including myself, I was quite anxious that first day back at the office. None of my clothes fitted me. It was all, all felt, all felt quite a drama. But actually, the minute you get back, you're like, I'm enjoying this. This is good. I'm seeing people. So I think it's some sort of event to get people over that initial hump of anxiety as well is quite important, giving them a reason to come to the office and make it as productive and satisfactory as possible once they're actually there. That's a, that's a great answer. So I think and I see myself with that. It's, it's not always the sort of the, the reluctance is related to sort of big issues such as concerns about transport. Sometimes it is just wanting to be sure that the experience when you get there will sort of will justify the travel and, and the effort of going in for the first time. So I think those are some great points there. The next question is is perhaps a slightly controversial one, and I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here, Vicky. How do you think cultures will be impacted by those that have had a vaccine and those that have decided not to? Can you foresee organisations mandating vaccinations? Oh, that's that that's that's a very good question, Will. I mean, I think it really depends where in the world you're coming from. I think we're seeing quite different practice, for example, in the US than we are in the UK. But today, most of the organisations I've been speaking to, they're very nervous about mandating vaccination. First of all, is it something that they can police? Uh, culturally, what's the implication? Does it exclude people that, for whatever reason, aren't recommended or don't personally feel that they should have the vaccine, etc.? So most organisations I'm speaking to in the UK are saying, you know, we'd rather focus on, on the testing, on the safety, etc., rather than going into vaccinations. But I am aware that that whole policy is quite being quite differently interpreted in different countries. So I think it is something that local local territories need to make a call on themselves. Of course. And the next question I think also raises a, an important point and I think it's something that I certainly feel very strongly about if I think about some of the content that we're creating as an organisation talking about these issues. I'm very keen that we don't fall into the trap of assuming that everybody has been working remotely for the past year or everybody's going to be working in a hybrid model just because we're used to working in offices. And the questions about those industries where many staff are hands on, such as healthcare or manufacturing, and also organisations where some people are required on site or in the office more than others. And, and Prasen, I'll, I'll ask you this question. How do you implement hybrid without it becoming an us and them situation? Yeah, it's it's fascinating, uh, Will, because in, in many ways there already was, rightly, wrongly, uh, a, at least a perception of a divide between blue collar and white collar knowledge workers. And in, in, in some ways hybrid, is probably if we are not careful about it hybrid is probably going to uh, sort of increase that divide so but but if you, if you really step back and think about how an organization or the degree to which an organization might be able to adapt to hybrid it is in some ways a function of the industry and how work is organized in that industry 
Now, technology will play a key role, no doubt about it, but the degree of hybridization, if, if I use that word, is largely a function of the ability to digitize the work delivery and consume it accordingly. So if we do not deliberately look out for it uh, over a period, it will start creating a new divide and um, those that are in the sort of hybrid workforce and those that are not. Organizations are dealing with it in different ways, and you know we were at the beginning of that thinking. But but an interesting way some organizations are beginning to think of it is um, taking out some of the hard cash benefits that they're able to crystallize through hybrid, and plowing it back towards the workforce that are not able to participate in hybrid. Uh, we're beginning to already see some retail organizations who are exploring uh, in in this space. Excellent. Thank you for that, that process. That's a great answer. And another building on that, perhaps, another question which perhaps has traces of us and them within it is about geographically defined pay bands. And, and we've been asked, should there still be geographically defined pay banding, such as London waiting, given the increase in remote working and the ability to, to access talent pools far more broadly. Vicky, do you want to pick that one up? Well, thanks, Will, definitely. Uh, uh, another fruity subject you've raised there. I mean, I think in, in certain territories, like again, the US, you know, we're really seeing a move away from location pay for exactly this reason. You know, people have made lifestyle choices and moved out from commuter belts or further away because they're not anticipating the same amount of travel going forward. So how do you deal with that? I think um, some companies are definitely tackling that head on. They're really looking at their you know, reward strategies uh, across the board. Other companies are sort of being a bit more um, reflective around that and saying it's something we can definitely look at going forward, but actually we don't want to do anything with our existing workforce. So it's more a plan around future roles and future recruitment that we can think be much more thoughtful about the talent pools we're, we're, we're tapping into. And if we are gonna go more geographically diverse, then actually we can really look at pay specifically for those roles going forward and over time move away from a London waiting. I think you do have to look at it, you know, it's a complex issue though. And I know, Will, we've had this conversation before, things like gender pay reporting, you know, you need to be careful that you're not also creating a real sort of divide between what existing workers earn and what the future earn future workers earn as well so i think you know the best plan is actually really thinking what is our our talent strategy going forward where are we going to get this talent from and actually is now or sometime in the future the time to review our reward strategy and make sure it's appropriate to the talent pools that we're actually um targeting absolutely that that makes a lot of sense and Another question which which follows on from this, and it, it's still perhaps on the topic of where people live in relation to the workplace. And a traditional benefit of many organisations was the season ticket loan. Now, the idea of a season ticket loan perhaps becomes less relevant if people aren't commuting into the office every day. And it, it may not be a benefit that people consider, you know, one for them anymore. So how do big businesses address this or how do businesses address this person do they work with rail providers do they change the benefits that they offer what can they do to reflect people's changing relationship with travel and commuting and not feel like they're stripping people of a benefit 
Yeah, uh, th th this again is uh, one of those where organizations are beginning to rethink how they could use some of the benefits that have been unlocked by hybridization and use that to create a new deal for employees. So specifically, if you think about it in the space of travel, um, we are already beginning to see early emergence of concepts like companies paying for commuting pools, uh, more, more, more uh, prevalent in the US than in the UK. Uh, in the UK, we've already had examples where train companies are exploring the idea of flexible season tickets. So instead of having to buy your season ticket at, as a chunk for the whole season, you are able to pick a few days of a week for which the same sort of flexibility uh, would apply. So we will see organizations on both sides, the travel companies, the enterprises um, respond to it. And equally, uh, it, we also need to recognize that this is something that will evolve. So as, for example, employees make some conscious choices around where they live, uh, we will increasingly see people start potentially moving out of the bigger cities and, and, and a different kind of uh, commuter belt emerging. So it's, it's, it's one of those where I think it, it will evolve over a period, but you're already beginning to see enterprises um, react to it in an, in an interesting way. Of, of course. And, and, and Vicky, can I, can I bring you in on, on this one? Do you have any thoughts to add to that? I, I do, actually. And, you know, a lot of companies are reviewing their benefit provision at the moment because, you know, there's loads of other things. Actually, um, how many companies should be providing home office setup support? Should we actually be helping employees with their internet? Should we be using our bulk purchase power to really get the kind of benefits for our employees that they will need going forward to be effective working from home? So I think it's definitely an area of review. And as I said, you know, the surveys that we're doing suggesting that the majority of companies are actually reviewing their benefit provisions at the moment. It is absolutely. And another area which I'm seeing talked about a bit more, and I suppose it's relevant in this space, is around what organizations can do to better support active commuting. You know, more people during during lockdown seem to have taken up running and cycling and, and this sort of thing. And I think lots of people are looking at that as a way to get back into the office while perhaps not necessarily having to confront concerns they have about public transport and that sort of thing. So is that an area that organizations should be looking at? You know, how do they provide better cycle storage, better changing facilities, sharing facilities, things like that, to help people keep those healthy habits they've developed during lockdown going now? We're, we're definitely looking at that, Will. <laughs> I think you're quite right. It's again, it's part of the office redesign. Actually, how can we make workplace as a service how can we make it as an attractive place as possible for people to come, make it as easy as possible and tie in with you know, their priorities and their appetites, if you like, for how they want to live their life. So definitely an area we're seeing real emerging thought coming through on. That's, that's great to hear. And, you know, I'm sure lots of lots of employees across across the country will appreciate their employers taking taking steps to support those kinds of things. The, the next question um, picks up again on the issue of reduced commuting and and for some reason, Vicky, I seem to be singling you out for some of the thornier questions. We've been asked, should businesses reduce salaries to reflect the reduction in commuting costs and other savings for staff working from home? 
oh that one's that one's really juicy some <laughs> companies are thinking about exactly that i mean i think the most common approach actually and probably the best approach is actually single out some specific roles that could be performed virtually so for example at pwc we've been moving away from physical pas to virtual assistants and actually we've realized some quite significant savings but actually tapping into some really interesting talent pools where the priority for them is, you know, living in a, in a very rural area, you know, great skills, really want a job, but want that flexibility of being near home, near, being near the school run, et cetera. So really looking at some specific roles that you can actually, um, you know, pivot to being virtual. I mean, what I will say, though, is, yes, you know, potentially you have got that saving on commute time from employees, but against that, you know, arguably, they're heating their houses more. They're spending more on Wi-Fi, on home office setup again. So I think you do have to look at the quid pro quo. And I think it's quite controversial to just sort of immediately give everyone a pay cut just because um, there's going to be more time, you know, less time commuting. I think it would certainly be a, a difficult message to communicate across organisations, wouldn't it? The, um, the next couple of questions actually are about orchestrating the workforce in a hybrid model. And I think lots of people, you look at lots of announcements, lots of headlines about what organizations are planning, and there seems to be a coalescence around people wanting to get the teams back in sort of two to three days a week. And lots of people are concerned what you're gonna see is Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, busy offices, full, lots of energy, Monday to Friday, Monday and Friday, bit of a ghost ship. So Prasen, I'll come to you first. Should organizations mandate which days whole team should come into the office together to allow that in-person collaboration and learning, but also perhaps to, to manage the flow of people throughout the course of a week. Yeah, this is a very, very interesting one, uh, one that's quite close to my heart. Um, as you said, uh, Will, uh, we are beginning to almost coalesce around this idea of two to three days a week uh, in office, but when and and how people organize is critical uh, we're seeing two distinct trends emerge and one where organizations are providing some guardrails like for example we expect employees to be in office two to three days a week that's sort of one school there's another school which is uh, again the two to three days but they're mandating the days and co complete polar opposites two very very large tech organizations global have in a space of a couple of weeks come out with two diametrically two, two of these diametrically opposite views one where they've given the choice to their employees on which two to three days they decide and the other where they're mandating the specific two to three days now and then i think i think the jury is out on this but where organizations are mandating the specific days that is with the idea that whole teams can be together and it drives higher collaboration and productivity dividend whereas where organizations are going for a model where they're leaving it to the discretion of the employees that assumes that employees or groups of employees will exercise the choice to get together based on what they need to and I, I think actually both models will coexist for at least a while. And it'll be a function of amongst many things, the size and scale of the organization, the way work and teams are organized. So for example, 
even in a large organization, uh, if you have much more sort of agile and product-based teams, so like squads and little cellular structures, you will see groups of employees can choose to get together when they need to collaborate. Uh, if you take you know, us as an example in, in PwC, some of the work that we do in spite of being a, such a large organization, it is, it is networked and people organize themselves in project teams based on the project that they're working on. So it makes more sense for those individuals to get together on days that they need to get together as opposed to the entire organization coming together on a Tuesday through a Thursday. So in many ways, I think it is, it'll be a function of um, kind of the nature of the work that the organization does, the culture of the organization. So how command and control they are versus how networked they are. Uh, in some cases, I know some organizations who, who are very uh, product and physical product or software product oriented and have significant uh, collaboration projects going on where there's IP concerns, in, in, they are creating a model where some parts of the organization, they are mandating when they should get together. So I think it'll be a mixed model. And over a period, uh, we will establish the right equilibrium, equilibrium based on the nature of the organization, the nature of the work and the culture of the organization. One of the, one of the sort of variables here is, is human behavior and human nature. And I wonder how people might respond to a changing, changing week. I think the assumption that offices will be empty on a Friday is based on the fact that when people used to go in more by Friday, they were ready to have a day working from home to catch up on their actions from the week and that kind of thing. But I wonder if, if people are traveling less into the city during the week, Friday may actually take on a new premium as people look to catch up with friends they've not seen for a while and integrate a trip into the office on a Friday more with a Friday night out on the town and whether perhaps Friday becomes the new Friday. And, and Vicky, if I could bring you on in, in on this, how, how can organizations manage capacity, avoid desk shortages on those, those busy days and spread people out a little bit more over the week? Because I suppose one of the things here is if Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday go back to the capacity and the occupancy of old, lots of other plans around sort of repurposing office space and become more difficult to implement. So, so what can organisations do? Thank, thanks, Will. Yeah, and I, I definitely I think where you've got a specific business case, for instance, the rationalisation of real estate, you probably do have to do a little bit of mandating to secure that. But what lots of organizations are looking at is actually how do we create those incentives for people to come in on those dead days, even where we don't mandate it. So, for example, staff discounts on local restaurants that kick in on Mondays and Fridays and really looking at how can you create. Um, I've got one client actually who's a, a, a retailer, a luxury retailer, and they were really struggling in the intervening period when you know offices were opening up again. They were really struggling to get people in. But then they had a bag sale day and suddenly I think it was over 70 percent of the organization came in. So really looking at, you know, how can you actually skew towards Mondays and Fridays, extra events, you know, whether it's free lunch, whether it's, as I said, vouchers, et cetera, for local restaurants. How can you really encourage people to come in so it's more e evenly distributed um, capacity across the office? I think the other thing to say is you have to get the technology in to measure flow, 
to really look at what's happening and then work out, you know, what are our days where capacity is really beginning to sort of go towards its maximum and actually monitor that and then think through what interventions do we need to make to make sure that this is more even. So measuring it, I think is going to be really important. Definitely. And there's some great ideas in there. I like the idea of deals with local businesses because I'm, I'm sure the local economy around large offices has, has suffered considerably over the past year. So I think something that brings people in and perhaps puts bums on seats in local pubs and restaurants and cafes and, and other venues would be you know a win-win for everybody. As we as we build to a conclusion of this podcast, just got a couple of questions outstanding now. It'd be great to get some thoughts on next steps. We, we've had a couple of questions here. Do you see a need, Prasen, I'll, I'll put this one to you, for, for a two-step plan, a short-term back-to-the-office plan, let's get people back, let's see what's working, followed by a longer-term plan for the future? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I think we will see this evolve. We see this very much as an experiment, learn, and optimize kind of model. Uh, and, and everyone's learning now, uh, but the, at the core of that will be reliable, actionable data across all aspects of people, place, and technology. The three core things that in an integrated way will ultimately drive the design of hybrid workplaces. And, and Vicky, the, the last question for you, how, how are organizations getting started? Where do you begin? I think you start by communicating. And I say this to everyone, I've, I, I read some really interesting survey where um, organizations that haven't yet announced their plans, they're, they're suffering from a lot more organizational anxiety and well-being scores are dipping. So I think even if you haven't come to a landing, just let people know that you're thinking about this. You know, it's a complicated equation. We need to look at customer and the impact there. We need to look at organizational team needs. But actually, you know, announce to people that you're intending to look at this and come up with a plan and then look at it and come up with a plan. And how you look at it and come up with a plan, you know, my view is data, data, data. Really look at everything from, you know, your, your real estate, what's going on there, what's the art of the possible, what are your employee preferences, look at the roles that you've got, team organisation, ways of working, and come up with a plan over the next couple of months. Again, what Prasen said, I think this is going to be iterative. You know, technology is emerging so quickly that can help us, new ideas coming out all the time. And I think, you know, most employees will keep faith with you. They know that this is the great experiment that we're all going through, but actually keep them engaged, let them know what you're thinking and really work through that detail to come up with a plan that you can execute over the next six months. Brilliant. Some, some great practical guidance there. Sadly, that's, that's all we've got time for. It feels like we've covered a lot of ground today but if, if anybody does want to understand more about hybrid working please do get in touch i know press and vicky you'd love to hear from people or i'd encourage people to check out our hybrid transformation web pages where they can find a recording of the webcast that i mentioned at the start as well as lots of articles and and further advice on hybrid working and i'm sure we're going to be adding to that content over the next few months as this continues to take shape all that's left for me to, to do really is to thank Vicky and Preston for your time. I, I've really enjoyed this conversation and to thank everybody who's tuned in to listen. Thank you both. Thank you, Will. Thank you, Likewise, Will. really enjoyed it. And thank you everyone for listening. Thank Brilliant. You.
Thank you.